Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I'm going to read a scripture to you this morning. Now, this is about Jesus going to his own hometown. It says, Jesus coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, which is like church. Uh, he talked to, talk to them in their, taught to them in their synagogue, like a church, and so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did these men get these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you so much for this year. I thank you, God, that you're doing great things in this church with the lives of people. And Father, I just pray today that you would come and speak to us and begin to minister to us. Lord, tonight, today people are going to be standing here. and We're going to pray for a lot of people. And I pray there would be some clarity in their own minds and in their hearts about the fact that you're going to do something with their future. Lord, even if they don't know what it is, I pray, God, that today everyone would come to the place of believing that it is possible that you can do stuff with them. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray a blessing to be upon today, upon all the people that are here, and even our church that can't be here today. Lord, we pray your richest blessing to be upon everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I love this city. I love Melbourne. I love the fact that we have some of the greatest coffee shops uh, in the world in this city. Uh, I think Melbourne's great. And recently I spent some time speaking with people uh, that were from Sydney. They'd only come down for a short time. So we're talking about uh, Melbourne and Sydney and, uh, you know, kind of I start to, you know, tell them about how great my city is. And then they start to tell me about how great their city is. And I said, no, nah, I don't think so. And I say, I've been to your city. I know, I know. I've been to your city and I've been to my city. And trust me, mine's better than yours. And I said this because, you know what, I, in, in Sydney, I remember years ago um, that uh, my wife and I were driving through um, Sydney and we're just trying to leave. And, and it's like they have these one-way streets that keep, once you get there, they don't let you leave, Okay. <laughs> So they have one-way streets, lots of these one-way streets in the middle of the city. So we turn the corner to take the exit, right? And I'm just faced with four lines of traffic all facing me. And I looked at, and, and it was a shock to us too, you know? And so we turned the corner and I thought, oh my goodness, we'll have to reverse up. So I leaned back to reverse, but now all the traffic's flying behind me. So I'm caught between a rock and a hard place and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? Well, as soon as the light went green, we just do a 180 and then we go the other direction. And I'm thinking, this city is crazy. What's wrong with your roads? I was driving on, on, a, on a freeway, uh, you know, going out from the city. Amazingly, we did get out of there. And, and so we're traveling away from the city. And I'm not on the outside lane. I'm, I'm in one of the inside lanes. I'm in a, a middle lane. And as I'm in this lane, I realize that all the cars that were around me, they start to sort of go up. And then I realize they're not going up. We're going down. And they have an off-ramp in the middle of the road. Who puts an off-ramp in the middle of a road? What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with that state? I said, nobody sees that coming. 
And so suddenly I'm getting off when I wanted to keep going. It took me away. I'm telling you, it took me forever. When you got to the bottom, I'm not even, not even a joke, okay? I got to the bottom. I said, let's just find the on-ramp. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so I'm like, this would have... Anyway, I made my point, right? I'll tell you one thing that I've found out. I was, I, stop, filter. Because um, I don't want to speak all the time about Sydney. Anyway. Doubt is like an off-ramp for your dreams, you know. Doubt is like an off-ramp for your dreams. And sometimes it hits you smack in the middle of the road. You're on a journey. You're traveling through life. And then suddenly, doubt just hits you. One of the things that I've learned about traveling this life with God is that faith is the currency in the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency. Now, if I want to move mountains... I have to believe in God. You know, I have to believe that those things are possible. And my faith and my belief, the degree to which I believe God, it's the thing that carries authority and weight and power that means I can shift those things that look impossible. And it's really just what I believe, and I believe in my God. And I think, you know, we are not the only ones to sort of have doubt in the middle of our road. Or, or to have maybe sometimes even those faith struggles. And I was thinking about all the stories of the Old Testament. And one of those stories is the story of uh, Jericho. And of course, you know, here comes Joshua and he meets the angel of the Lord. And he says, you know, you're for us. You know, what are you doing here? And he said, yeah, I'm going to tell you to take that city of Jericho. And you're going to march around it for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to blow your trumpets and all the walls are going to fall out and you're going to take that city. And so can you imagine trying to explain that to people if this is literally what God said to you? You gather your army and you say, all right, here is the plan. For the next week, we're going to walk around the city just once. And then on the last day, you know, we're going to do it again a couple times. And then we're going to blow the horns and then all the city's going to fall. And people are probably thinking, you're insane. Why did Moses leave us in your hands? You know, and so anyway, this is what they start to do. So they walk around. Now, I kind of think on day two, some of the guys, you know, the engineers, they probably walked up to the wall to test the structural integrity of the walls. And they're like, yep, just looks like yesterday. You know, day four, they're like looking for the cracks. You know, is something going to break? You know, and they're like, nope, still, guys, I don't know what this guy's got us doing. Joshua's a little bit crazy. This wall looks just as intact as it did when we started on day one. Everyone's asking the same question, but they keep doing it because they just believe by faith. And then, of course, on the last day, they do it. They blow the trumpets and the city falls, you know. And what made them get up the next day? day what made them keep going it's just their faith really you know the thing about faith is it's not like in when you have faith that sometimes thoughts don't even pass through your mind you know the truth is sometimes thoughts do pass your mind but what you do with your behavior and actions I think says a lot more about your faith sometimes 
I love what Bill Johnson says about faith. He says, um, you know, uh, faith, faith isn't the absence of doubt. It's the presence of belief, you know. And sometimes doubts can come into your mind. Now, if you begin to engage with those doubts, they become an off-ramp for where you were headed and where you were going. And I think about the story that we just read this morning, and I realized that an entire town caught that off-ramp. An entire town. In fact, can you imagine the culture and the community was wired in such a way that they all missed what Jesus was actually prepared to do? Uh, years ago, uh, one of our kids had to have an operation. Now, I would have done anything to avoid having that operation. Why? Because I love my kids. Now, what's my dream? God, I pray my dream right now is that, Lord, you'd heal him and he never has to have that operation. And here's a town with sick people who there must have been so many dreams in that town and in that village. We just want our people to be healed and cured and all the rest of it. And they don't have hospitals like we do today. So Jesus is pretty handy. And then he comes to your town and your village and he's standing there. And he's prepared to do a miracle. And they say to him, sorry, we know your mom and your dad. We know where you come from. I've met your brothers and your sisters. I remember you growing up as a kid. You, you don't have what it takes, you know. And as a result of that culture and that community, just trying to chop Jesus down to size, they missed what God was prepared to do with an entire town. You know, when Jesus came through a town, boy, he, he, he made a mark. He made a mark difference. This is, by the way, how we know that Jesus was actually born in Australia. <laughs> because we have a very similar culture. It's called tall poppy. And what we do is this social phenomenon where we just cut people down to size because of their ambitions or desires, maybe their dreams or maybe their achievements. Not forget it. You're not above us, you know. And so it chops people down the sides. And can you imagine a culture, and you live in this culture, so you may have experienced this, and this is what happens. People begin to be afraid to speak about what is really on their heart. And they want to talk about it for fear that someone else might come along and say, you, you're no good. You're not going to make it. I saw you growing up. I saw all the mistakes that you've made. Imagine a culture and a community in which you could never move past your past. No thanks. Not for me. Not for this church. I believe that when God wants to do a new thing, he can do a new thing. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. That kind of culture, it squashes dreams. And you know what it said? It said that they were offended. The word offense or offended, it actually means a stumbling block. The stumbling block was doubt. And doubt was an off-ramp to their dreams to see God heal people in their town and in their city. I've learned this about life, that it provides you many opportunities to take the off-ramp. Many opportunities to take the off-ramp. And it causes people to miss what they dream of. Don't quit when expectations meet circumstances. Don't quit when expectations meet circumstances. I've got no doubt that those people have been asking and praying in that town. Lord, help us. God, send us someone. So he came himself. But here's God wrapped up in human form. Here's God wrapped up looking like Jesus. And they said no to the answer to their problems 
They said no to God himself. Why? Because they had an expectation about how things should look or what God should actually be like. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't exactly meet their expectations. And so their circumstances overtook them. And they didn't really get the answers that they were probably hoping for. You know, I've learned that God is too clever to give us the whole thing at once. He's too clever to give us the whole thing at once. He gives us a picture. That picture forms expectations. Have you learned this about God yet? If you're new to this, you're going to learn this. He'll give you a picture. And sometimes that picture, it might be 10 years in the future. And you're excited about it. And then there's all these circumstances that happen between the picture and it becoming reality. Or maybe the way you thought about it and it looks different. I'll tell you a guy who got a great picture. It was a guy by the name of Joseph. He had a great picture. Let me read his story to you. It says, Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. What a wonderful family. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, this is so great. Behold, guys, guys, brothers, listen, listen. I had this awesome dream. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And you'll never guess, my sheaf uh, arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it to bow down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Next slide. Then he dreamed another dream. Now, because he's young, he hasn't learnt yet. He should probably keep his mouth shut. He says, guys, guys, brothers, I have another dream. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon, which is like his mom and his dad. He says, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, Joseph didn't really help himself because he already had an issue with his brothers, mainly because his dad loved him more than he loved the brothers, right? Do you know what his dad did for him? He made him this multicolored jacket and he gave it to his favorite son right and can you imagine that made all of the, they already hated him right and then he gets given a jacket look dads do not then go and bless one of unless you want them to fight you know you don't go and bless one of your kids and tell them that you love them more this is bad parenting all over i mean you can learn a lot for the bible it doesn't mean that they always got it right okay and so this is the thing he gives them this jacket i mean be like Dad, really? You really shouldn't have. No, I mean, it's a rainbow-colored jacket. You really, you really... I'm not going to wear this. I'm not, I'm not going to wear this. I'm going to get beat up if I wear this. You know, he was going to get beat up. And so they're already mad with him. And then he comes and he tells him this whole story. Now, Joseph saw the end, but he didn't see the middle. And the middle is where the details are. He saw the end. Oh, yeah. Guys, great dream. You're going to bow down to me. They're like... Uh-huh. Yeah, you, th you think so. That's pretty funny, Joseph, you know, because they're frustrated and they're mad with him already. So he gets the picture, but not the details. I bet you that one of the things that Joseph didn't realize is that actually what would happen is he'd be out with his brothers one day and they're mad with him and all the rest of it. And they're going, you know, we've got to get rid of this problem. How are we going to get rid of this problem? And one of them goes, I know, we'll just kill him. 
let's kill him. And when Joseph is dead, all of our problems go away. And then one of them's like, nah, let's put him in the well. And then they have the conversation about let's kill him. But what they do in the end is they end up selling him. And he ends up becoming a slave. And so here he is, and he's a slave. And this guy Potiphar comes along, and Potiphar buys him. But it says that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. I love that actually when Joseph was put in this terrible environment, God was still with him. And even as a slave, he began to arise. Why? Because God was with him. And when God's with you, whatever environment you're in, you can begin to arise. You see, I think a lot of people think the environment is breaking them, but it's not. Your environment you think is breaking you is actually making you. I reckon the devil rubs his hands together all the time. His little claws. I don't know if he's got them. I kind of imagine it. He rubs his little claws together and he goes, this is awesome. He feels like he's ruining people's lives. He's like, I'm going to break them. Nah, because when you leave the situation in God's hand, the thing that you think is breaking you, it's actually making you. And so Joseph, you'd think that at this point he's a slave. Could it get any worse? Yep, because Potiphar's wife, she thinks that Joseph is hot. And he is, because the Bible doesn't lie and it tells us that he was. And so he's hot. And she says, let's have sex. And he says, no. And she says, yes. And so anyway, this goes backwards and forwards. Then what she does is she says, all right, I'm going to get everybody out of here. So she gets rid of everyone from the palace, right? Or everyone that's there in the house, right? Gets rid of them all. Then she grabs him and she goes, no one's here. We can do it now. He's like, are you serious? We've already spoken about this, right? And then she grabs him and he, and he slips out of his jacket and he runs away. Then she does something crazy. She screams out. The guards come running. What happened? Joseph raped me. Now here's a guy who's tried to do everything right. He was sold by his brothers. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. He was an honorable person. Can you imagine how he might have felt being accused of rape? The looks of all the people, all the other servants, they're going, I can't believe you would do this. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't, but no one's listening. You know what happens? He gets put in prison. Man, what a terrible environment. But the environment that was meant to be breaking him was the environment that was actually making him. So he gets to prison and what happens? Well, he meets the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker, doesn't he, right? He meets a couple of guys, one's a cupbearer and one's a baker. They both have dreams, no idea what it means. Says to the baker, you're dead. Says to the cupbearer, you're going to live. The cupbearer goes and serves Pharaoh when he gets out of prison. Pharaoh has these crazy dreams and he says, how are we going to get anybody to understand these dreams? I want to learn what these are about. They get their priests and they get all their people and they're trying to understand what the dream is about and no one knows. And then the cupbearer goes, oh, wait a minute. There was this guy that I was supposed to remember when I got out of here. His name was Joseph. He's in prison. He interprets dreams. We should get that guy in here. They said, great bring him in so they shave him and they clean him up and they bring him before Pharaoh and then Pharaoh's standing there and he tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph says I've got this I can tell you what the dreams mean you're going to have seven years of crazy famine and then you're going to have seven years of, of, of plenty and then you're going to have seven years of just crazy famine now he says Pharaoh if you play your cards right you guys are going to do really well out of this so you guys should be just building like big silos and strategize your way around this problem and everybody in this whole region will have to come to you to get food they're like this guy is brilliant he says yes 
We should get Him. Who else can we find that has the Spirit of the Lord on them like this man? Promote that man. And then they take him out of the prison and they make him the prime minister. Now he's the two. I see the environment that was meant to break him was the environment that actually ended up making him. Because he was put in a position where he had contact with the right people who were going to take him where he was meant to go. In the end, he gets promoted to prime minister. Guess the end of the story. Well, of course, his family come back when they're all hungry and they need food. And guess who bows down before him? That was the end. But he didn't know the circumstances. He didn't know the details. He didn't understand the middle part. And I reckon there must have been so many times that he thought to himself, have you forgotten about me, God? Have you forgotten about the words that you spoke to me? Have you forgotten what you said to me, God? He must have thought that so many times. And I reckon we think that all the time. God, have you forgotten what you were supposed to do? Have you forgotten about that? You know why we think that? Because suddenly our expectations meet our circumstances. And sometimes our circumstances try to convince us that God has forgotten about us. I reckon life provided Joseph so many off-ramps and yet he never took them. But I bet he thought that, 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 that it was hard. I bet there were many times when he was being looked at and being accused and all the rest of it. I bet there were so many times he thought, man, God, I'm, I'm trying, but this is really hard. I remember the dreams that you gave to me, but I didn't think it would mean that I'd end up here. And I didn't think it would mean that I'd end up like this. God, this is really hard. This is what Thomas Edison said. He said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. You like that? It's true. It's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. Even God dreams can be hard work. Now, seriously, this is going to help somebody here today. Because even God dreams can be hard work. Just because God gives you a dream doesn't mean that magically everything's going to fall into place. Sometimes they can be hard work. Let me give you five reasons why people quit their dreams too early. Number one, people quit their dreams too early because it's hard work. And if you don't like hard work, then maybe you're going to take the first off-ramp that's available to you. God dreams can be really hard work. I remember when I took over Activate Church. And in the first two weeks, somebody commits suicide, a father in our church. And I thought, this is hard. And then I had a couple of elders that were close friends of mine that said, we really feel called to the UK. And I thought that was hard. And then the hard kept falling and being unveiled to me. And then the council said, you have no building. And I thought, that's hard. And these hard things kept on coming. Now, hang on, but I was called and appointed to be the pastor of this church. Isn't it all meant to be easy? No. It was still from God, but it was still hard. And I remember after I took the church, um, a guy met with me and he, said, he came and he said to me, he, he put his hand on me and he said, oh, Ben. He said, I think of you, just oh, look at your beautiful family. And man, this is going to be so hard. 
And I said, well, thank you. I said, hey, I said, you worked as a pastor for a long time too, didn't you? And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, how was it for you? He said, real hard. I said, well, don't take your stuff and put it on me anyway. And that's not the kind of help that I need, by the way. And so recently, this guy, he attended a service at our church. And he came to me and he said to me, he goes, oh, my gosh. He said, the guy that took over the church back at the beginning, when you took over, he goes, I saw a different person standing in front of me today. Boy, are you different. You were the right guy. Now, here's the point. Imagine if I'd have leaned into all of his advice and horrible thinking and all the rest of it. And I, you know, I said to him, I said, yeah, well, of course, because the truth is, is that people need to grow into their roles. Sometimes you need to grow into something. And sometimes while you're growing, you experience circumstances. And you think that they're going to break you. Nuh-uh. They're actually making you. And the hard things that you handle, and you handle it with grace, and you go to God, and you take it, and you don't quit, and you don't give up. Man, they actually make you. That's the first reason. People just quit because it's hard work. Number two, people quit because there is the comfortable alternative always available on the left. The comfortable alternative. Quit now. Don't serve God or your dreams or anything like that. Forget what God said. If you take this job, you'll have more money and a larger home. And this is much more comfortable. Why would you do this? And the constant reverberation of your soul that tries to get you to settle for less than God's best. If it keeps talking to you and you entertain it on a regular basis, you become double-minded. And how are you supposed to do anything when you go in this direction, but you really want to be over there? It constantly plagues you and then eventually it'll offer you an off-ramp and you say, great, I'll take that way out. Let me take the easy way out. That's the second reason. Third reason, a near brush with failure. Sometimes that's all it takes and you're brushed with failure. Or maybe you've actually failed before. But this is the thing that I think. If your identity is ground in Christ, if you know who you are in Christ, then you should be able to go through failure and be okay. You should be able to make it because you are not the sum of your failures and you are in fact not your failure. See, when I mess up, I'm still God's son and my identity is still in Christ. That's why identity makes it nearly into every single sermon that I preach because I think if I'm going to be a responsible pastor, one of the most important things I can ever teach people is to have their identity ground in Christ, to be found in Him. Because if you get that one thing right, man, you'll go far. You get that one thing right and you'll make it through. That's the fourth thing, the third thing, a near brush with failure or actually maybe even failed. Here's the fourth thing, indecision. You think you heard from God or you definitely got something from God? It's the paralysis of analysis. The frozen chosen. I heard, I wait. And you wait until the season of opportunity passes you by only to live in regret, only to wish that you could go back and change it. Only sometimes it can be too late because the seasons have shifted and moved. 
And so you miss it. And this is what I've learned is that if you know, now listen, listen to this, this is real important. If, if you're not sure and you've got big question marks and you're like, I, don't, I really don't know if this is from God, then my advice to you would be don't do anything. Wait till God makes himself really clear because I've seen people make big decisions and fall hard because they thought they heard something. So go get godly wisdom, get godly advice, all the rest. Now, once you are absolutely clear on what God has said to you to do, do something. Because the wrong thing is better than doing no thing because at least you'll learn something. And even if you make a mistake, God can fix it, can't He? I remember one time I was in Thailand as with my wife and it was actually on our honeymoon and we saw this guy and he went up a diving platform and the the platform was huge. We were watching him from the hotel and he looked confident as he went up the stairs. And as he got close to the edge, he looked over it and he held the rail and he looked again. And this was great entertainment for our boring afternoon. And, and so he's looking over the edge. You know what he did? He, he thought about it for so long. He just walked around and he went down onto the next level and he walked out and he walked back and then he kept looking over the edge and he went down and down until he got to the one meter platform that hovers just above the water and did a little pin drop. And I said, boy, did you talk yourself out of what you were going to do when you got up there? Don't let it happen to you. Number five, self-doubt. Self-doubt. Self-doubt is what happens when you get defeated in the mind. That's why we're supposed to renew our minds in what the truth is about God. You don't want to get defeated up here. And I tell you, there's a couple of ways you can really enter into the land of doubt. One of them is the comparison trap. Remember, there's no winners in the comparison trap. You feel like you're going to step out, but then you just compare your journey to somebody else's and you think, oh my gosh, if they're doing that, what, who am I? What am I going to do? I can't do this. I don't have the ability or the capacity or I can't do this. So you just compare yourself to others. There's no winners there. If you compare yourself to someone else, you'll either see yourself as superior or inferior and neither one of them help you anyway. So you're better off just leaning in and listening to God. By the way, you know, when you compare yourself to somebody, all you're really doing is looking at the highlight reel of their life. You don't see what people have to go through to get where they are. You don't know the heartache that they might have gone through themselves. Don't compare yourself to the highlight reel. It's only going to suck the, the faith out of you and you end up in self-doubt. And I was thinking about this yesterday. And by the way, when God speaks to me, and I don't know how He speaks to you, but when God speaks to me, He does it like this. He always makes a statement. He says to me things, but He never begins His sentences. Oh, but what if this doesn't happen? I realized God never says that to me. God never says, oh, but what if? Because He knows everything. So He never has to say, but what if? So it doesn't make sense that any sentence that begins to play in my mind that takes me into a place of self-doubt that begins with what if is probably just not Him because He already knows. God says things more like, you will, I will, but not, but what if? He doesn't say that. So if you start to hear those voices, just maybe consider who's actually speaking to you at the time. And all these things, they're off-ramps to your future. But if God gives you a dream, let me tell you, if He's given you a dream, you're actually anointed for it. 
And anointing, it doesn't mean that the journey is easy. Anointing doesn't mean easy. It means consecrated. It means to be set apart for some purpose. It means that God's with you. There's a guy in the um, Old Testament, King Saul. And King Saul was anointed, had the oil poured on him and everything, was anointed to be king. But he had approval addiction. So he had to make sure that he was okay with everyone and he was worried about the thoughts and the perspectives and the opinions of others. So when God gave him a command, he disobeyed him. And God said, well, if I can't even get you to obey me, I'm moving on from you. And he did. And he moved on and he found a new guy. And I want to tell you about that when he found the new guy. We're going to read that scripture. Samuel the prophet comes to find who's going to be the next king of Israel after they've moved on from Saul. And he comes to the house of Jesse. And he says, when they came, he looked at Eliab. Does everybody remember Eliab from a few weeks ago? He saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed us before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shamar pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass by before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains the youngest, which actually means the smallest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. I didn't bother bringing David in here because he's a sheep keeper. Certainly not the king. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him. I send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. And this is, I think David had something to do with the writing of this passage. It says, Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. He was the smallest, the most least likely. Eliab looked the most impressive. But do you remember Eliab? Eliab was the one who spoke to David when David went out to fight Goliath and he said, what have you come here to do? You're the sheep boy. Get back to the sheep. I know the evil that's in your heart. Get out of here. That's what Eliab said. But David was the one who carried the Word of God inside of him and said, nah, God's given me a word, so I'm going after this. That was David. That's why he chose him because on the outside, Eliab looked impressive, but God, he looks on the heart. And David gets anointed in secret but he was rewarded in public. I thought, how could David possibly be positioned to be king? And I love this picture because it's almost what's going to happen here in just a moment. There they were. There's David in his father's house, being anointed by oil, surrounded by his family. How will that possibly translate in a way that will position him to be the king of Israel? anointed in secret. How is it possibly going to happen? But you already know the story and you know what happened. David went to the battle lines. In fact, God sent him Goliath and Goliath, the very thing that they thought was going to break them was the very thing that was actually there to make David. 
Because when he slayed that giant, everyone took notice of him and it took him before the king. And he started to be positioned. How? He sent him Goliath. You know, there's a scripture that's really well known. It says the anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing of God. So you get a couple of animals and they're yoked together and they're plowing fields. It says the anointing breaks the yoke. Sometimes stuff feels like it's holding you back. Did you ever consider that the yoke was there just so the anointing could break it and prove something to you? The yoke exists to be broken. It's there. He gives you the anointing so that you can break it. And when you break it, you start to get this picture. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe something is really possible here. Maybe God's going to actually do something with my life. Man, David was small on the outside, but I tell you, he was pretty big on the inside. He was big on the inside. Don't worry about what's on the outside. Don't worry about the past. There are some things that may be holding you back. They're there today to be broken by God so you know that you can keep going and keep growing. You can go further. God can do something with your life. I don't know what seasons are in the past, but can we just let it be there where it needs to be in the past? Because when God decides to mark you and anoint you for His plans and His purpose and His future, and you don't quit, man, you're going to break through. So what we want to do today is we want to anoint everybody now, if you're here today and you're a guest and you're not sure about any of that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, just stay where you are if you're comfortable. But I will tell you this. Every single person in this room, no matter how you feel today, no matter who you are, I'm telling you right now, there is purpose attached to your life. God wants to do something with your future. All we want to do is mark you for it today and stand with you and stand in agreement and say, you know what? We're marking you today. You are, you are consecrated. You are set apart for something. I may not know what. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. But you are set apart for something by God. There's going to be a whole bunch of people here who are going to begin to break through past seasons to do amazing things in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, this is not just for the individuals. This is here for our church. We're going to break a yoke. We're going to break some stuff that's been holding back. We're going to run the race that's been marked clear for us. You understand what I'm saying today? You understand what I'm saying? Why don't you stand to your feet? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.